0: Welcome to the Social Policy Connections audio podcast. The following podcast features Michaela Guthridge's talk at Social Policy Connections Forum on Human Trafficking, given July 19, 2011. A video segment of her talk is available on our website. Michaela Guthridge is Justice Development Manager at Good Shepherd Australia, New Zealand as well as SPC board member. If you would like to attend one of our events, please refer to our website, www.socialpolicyconnections.org.au Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or via an RSS feed located on our website's homepage. And now, Michaela Guthridge. To do is um, just do the promo for the Trading Circle, which is a Good Shepherd initiative. You would have seen the products as you walked in. They're made um, by um, women, some of them that have been trafficked um, through um, Good Shepherd projects throughout the world. They come from areas such as Asia, Africa, Latin America, and um, we have the, um, the opportunity to sell them here in Australia so that they have the opportunity to trade out of poverty. So, Hopefully, um, if you're feeling inspired by the end of today and want to make a difference, go down and uh, see what you like out of the trading circle. Um, so, thank you, um, everybody, and I hope you're having a good evening. Um, good Shepherd Australia New Zealand welcomes the opportunity to speak tonight at the uh, um, Forum on Human Trafficking. Um, as indicated, I will uh, be speaking on forced and servile marriage which is an issue that sits along the continuum of human trafficking and domestic violence. It has been estimated that anywhere between 1 and 37% of human trafficking cases are forced and servile marriages. Similar estimates of the percentage of domestic violence cases found to be forced marriages is not known, but the anecdotal evidence suggests it is very high. My focus today will be on the importance of correctly framing the issue with appropriate terminology in order to facilitate community understanding on the issue. International and domestic law defines that marriage is entered into wholly contingent on free and full consent of intending spouses and that equal rights continue during and at the end of marriage. All major religions, including Christian, Hindu, Muslim and Sikh, require this full and free consent to enter a marriage. Although this consensus exists on what a marriage is, perhaps that's where our common understanding ends. Beyond this, marriage is a complex array of socially, culturally and religiously based rituals, rights and obligations present in all nations, all cultures, subcultures and even between married couples. On the one hand, we can find different marriage customs fascinating and enriching, but on the other hand, some so-called marriage customs Appear to be so thinly veiled under the guise of marriage that perhaps we feel marriage was left at the altar and waiting for somebody to pronounce it master and slave. Forced marriage is not defined in international or Australian domestic law, but is understood to be marriage that is entered without free and full consent of one or both parties, where uh, such as were consent to the marriage is coerced through duress, fraud, through physical or psychological coercion. To me this makes no logical sense given that international and domestic law states that marriage is only formed with free and full consent. Therefore to remove the element of consent means no marriage has taken place and we can question whether there can ever be a marriage when it has been forced. It would seem the terms forced marriage and servile marriage are quite oxymoronic. Servile marriage is defined in the UN Supplementary Convention as a practice similar to slavery where a woman does not have the right to refuse the marriage in exchange for payment, in money, or in kind for the benefit of the family or other people. In this case, a woman or child is equal to a chattel that can be transferred, sold, inherited, a product of a consumer transaction where the customer is always right and de- demands satisfaction of his purchase. A chattel or good has no ability to give free and full consent. In fact, it cannot give consent at all. So again, the use of the word marriage here, whether servile or otherwise, is misleading. The terms presuppose that despite the element of force, a marriage exists, and by the same token, in servile marriage, despite the slave-like relationship, a marriage exists. This is inappropriate terminology for what is, in fact, an exploitive aberration of a right to marry that is facilitated by perceived or coerced family obligations. Furthermore, naming the offence forced or servile marriage obscures the message to the community given the emotional and cultural understandings we all tie to the word marriage, regardless of our personal, cultural or religious beliefs. In using the term marriage, we may inadvertently be implying that the victim, as a party to the marriage, is partially responsible for the offence. Just as the term battered wife is not used for domestic violence, forced marriage should have no connotation of legitimacy on the part of the perpetrator due to the existence of a marriage, nor should there be any sense of responsibility felt on the part of the victim for the same reason. Furthermore, not only does it lack true definition for the victim and perpetrator, but it simultaneously affects the community's level of understanding of the seriousness of the crime. For example, the term servile marriage could be easily misconstrued as a, describing a story of a hard-working and tireless wife giving her life to the family. In the Good Shepherd's submission to the Attorney-General's discussion on forced and servile marriage, we cited anecdotal reports that may assist in illustrating the importance of it's victim-centered terminology. In one story, a young Iraqi woman came to Australia to marry. Her mother-in-law made her wash the oily clothes from a family mechanics business, and she had to clean and cook for the house of ten, even when her hands were chapped and bleeding. If the story finished here, we could easily conclude that we have an overbearing mother-in-law, a wife doing all the cooking and cleaning. But it's far from the lives. It's not far from the lives of many devoted wives who work on as martyrs for the love of their family. However, the story continues. She wasn't allowed to leave the house. She had to flee the abusive marriage to her first cousin. Her husband's family sent her back to Iraq, but her family in Iraq said if she didn't return to her husband, they'd kill her for the dishonour. So we see in the end, this story is about forced marriage. Perpetrators of forced and servile marriage often justify their actions to build strong families, to preserve cultural and religious traditions, to keep poverty and wealth within the family, to assist claims for residence and citizenship. So let's consider the terminology in context. Two Sudanese girls were taken at gunpoint at age 13 and 14 by men in refugee camps in Kenya. The girls spoke no English and the men brought them into Australia as their wives. Each girl has five children. Allegedly, the men wanted uh, the children for the child payments. The girls have been beaten, raped and abused by their husbands and by other men in the community. So is this marriage. Another domestic violence worker told us we have cases of girls as young as 14 being pinned down by their own family while their new husband rapes them to seal the deal. They continue to live with their family until 18 and are sent over to the the, uh, man's house whenever he wants sex. Is this marriage? A migrant worker told us underage girls are often brought overseas on holidays by their families and are forced to marry older men to bring them back to Australia and keep wealth within the family. Is this a marriage? In 2011, an Australian-born woman successfully petitioned the family court for orders that her marriage, which occurred in India in 2009, were void due to duress. She had travelled to India, where she believed she would marry the Australian boyfriend. When she arrived, her parents confiscated her passport and her father repeatedly threatened to have her boyfriend's sister and mother kidnapped and raped if she didn't marry another man. In the Women's Legal Service submission, They stated that clients had told them that they did not want to get married to their husband, but they knew there was no real alternative available to them because they would be rejected by their family and their community. Many of these clients would not identify their marriage as being forced, but rather part of their commitment to their culture, their families and their communities. For this reason, we must always be mindful that for some people, the act of leaving their family is excruciating despite the abuse and exploitation they face each day as family occupies a very important role in their life and their personal identity. It is important to keep culture, religion and language in mind when considering the challenges of, uh, faced by victims of forced and servile marriage. The terms forced and servile marriage, both domestically and internationally, have been adopted without, with little dispute. Even the United Nations refers to the issue as forced marriage. The closest the terminology has come into question is through ACRA employing the term sham marriages in lieu of a forced or servile marriage to highlight the underlying illegitimacy of the marriage. This is a start, but I would contend this does not go enough to help victims. Good Shepherd strongly advocates for both legislative and non-legislative measures in Australia... To address the problem of what is currently called forced and servile marriage, we would also encourage the consideration of a more victim-focused terminology that aids increased community understanding. The terminology should empower women to identify the violation of their rights and give them the courage to seek help. Whilst forced and servile marriage lies within the definition of marriage, this may be an impediment. Changing the terminology could empower victims to speak out Seek help knowing it's not a marriage and they do have rights. Thank you.